listening to Unlimited Hangout. I'm your host, Whitney Webb. Today is going to be a bit of an unconventional episode. Uh, Since probably around November, I've been eager to unpack a rapidly growing effort to legislate quote-unquote neuro rights, meaning neurological rights, at the national level in various countries and the global level uh, through the UN. I had originally planned to talk about this issue uh, through an article, but I obviously still haven't gotten around to that with everything else that has been going on uh, in my life and in the world. So I figured it would instead be a good subject for a podcast. So when planning out this podcast, I was thinking of who I could interview on this topic since usually the format of this podcast involves me interviewing other people. Uh, But I haven't really seen anyone doing deep dives or really even talking about this neuro rights legislation that's been popping up in a handful of countries and its implications. So I realized I'd probably have to do this one solo. However, unlike some of my colleagues like Ryan from T-Lab or Robbie Martin from Media Roots, who can do three hour plus shows solo, I prefer the conversational style personally. So in this episode, instead of a regular guest, I will be joined today by my amazing assistant and podcast editor, Star. So hey, Star, how's it going? Welcome to the Unlimited Hangout podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's nice to be here. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So to, to start off, Uh, How did I first hear about and get interested in this neuro rights phenomenon, you may be asking? Well, it turns out Chile, the long, skinny country in South America where I've lived for eight years, is the testbed for this legislation and also for the neuro rights constitutional amendment. Uh, But no Chilean actually wrote this legislation or this amendment which have now since passed, making Chile the first in the world to legislate neuro rights. Instead of these Chilean laws being written by Chileans, it was instead written by Rafael Yuste, a Spanish-American neuroscientist with deep ties to Silicon Valley, one of Jeffrey Epstein's best science pals, and the U.S. government and military's brain mapping initiatives. Of course, that's not being mentioned here in Chilean and media, uh, which instead is only happy to trumpet, we're the first, we're number one, without exploring the broader implications of the legislation or the motives of the man behind it. So let's start off with how this is being portrayed in Chilean media. So first off, I'm going to be reading uh, from a article in a Chilean uh, newspaper, their website uh, called El Mostrador. Uh, and this article is from October 2nd, 2019. Um, and it, it's in Spanish, but I'll just be translating it as I, as I read it out. So the, the title uh, of this article is uh, Guido Girardi, which is the name of a Chilean senator, and a Spanish neuroscientist, Rafael Yuste, uh, will present a constitutional reform to protect, quote unquote, neuro rights, uh, which in Spanish is uh, neuro derechos for anyone that's uh, interested in the term there. Um, The subtext of this article says uh, Senator Girardi, together with neuroscientist Rafael Yuste, uh, announced that next week they will present to Chile's Congress a constitutional reform that establishes neuro rights as a new human right uh, and is will be the first project on, on the world uh, stage, I guess, uh, that regulates those rights and protects them uh, so that they are uh, neurotechnologies are only used for altruistic ends, um, <laughs> which is uh, uh, well, we'll talk more about that later. Um, and then they talk about how they'll be meeting directly with the uh, current 
and outgoing president of Chile, Sebastián Piñera, uh, to ask for his support. Uh, so as it, the article starts off, uh, there's some pretty telling information in there. Uh, it says Senator uh, Guido Girardi, uh, who is the president of the uh, Challenges of the Future Commission of the Chilean Senate, uh, together with neuroscientist uh, from Spain, Rafael Yuste, um, who uh, they introduce here as being the coordinator of 650 international centers of the brain initiative, which was launched by ex U S president Barack Obama. Uh, it says, uh, and Girardi announced that next week they will present in the national Congress's constitutional reform and so on about neurotechnology, uh, only being able to use for altruistic ends. Um, so, um, that's pretty significant here uh, in the sense that this legislation, uh, not written by Chileans, it's written by a guy who created the Brain Initiative, which we can talk a little bit um, more about uh, later on. But um, basically, um, these guys in, in this particular article in 2019, before people were really paying attention to this, um, sort of give away their main sales pitch here. So you stay, um, who's really the brains, haha, <laughs> uh, behind this whole thing, uh, said, um, and is quoted as saying in this article, uh, neurotech, the neurotechnology are scientific tools to read and alter the activity of neurons. And, uh, this technology is being developed in a way ever more quickly. They're very necessary in order to understand how the brain works and to be able to cure mental illnesses and neurodegenerative illnesses. And then he goes on to say, uh, these same tools can be used to access and change the content of the mind. Um, this has never happened in the history of humanity, and it would change uh, the rules of the game uh, when it comes to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, referencing, I guess, the UN document, because uh, as we'll talk about later, this guy is also lobbying uh, the United Nations to pass this essentially at the, the global level. So Yuste goes on to say, uh, this is not science fiction. Uh, these tools um, for uh, these neurotechnological tools are being used routinely in experiments on, on lab animals, uh, which Yuste does in his own lab. We'll talk about that later. Um, and he goes on to say what he's been doing in his lab, uh, that, yeah, uh, that, that we can already alter the behavior of rats in vivo using lasers to activate groups of their neurons and implant images in their brains uh, that they have never seen, uh, which he in other articles calls uh, the implantation of uh, hallucinations in the, in the minds of mice. Um, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fun guy. One can imagine what they're going to want to do with something like that once they figure it out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, isn't this the kind of guy you want, um, writing <laughs> legislation to protect your brain, the guy that uh, makes mice hallucinate, um, you know, and uh, came up with the brain initiative, which we'll be talking about uh, later. Um, but anyway, to move on to another article, uh, <laughs> I'll just uh, wrap up this one here. But uh, this Chilean senator basically compares uh, Rafael Yuste to Albert Einstein, <laughs> uh, basically saying that Einstein uh, warned us about the benefits and risks of, of nuclear energy. And now it's, it's, Day, who's doing that with 
uh, neurotechnology and he's so great um, that, you know, we should just let this guy write uh, legislation for all Chileans and change our constitution. It's fine because he he's doing it because of altruistic means, right? I mean, that's what he says. Uh, we should really believe him. I'm <laughs> uh, Why shouldn't we believe him? I mean, a, a normal person would ask, like, why should you not believe him? Right. Well, because they're treating him, you know, they're they're not really looking critically at this, the media coverage in Chile. Uh, you know, this is an article from 2019, but it's pretty much all the same across Chilean media. They're like, yeah, we have to, this is about protecting uh, neural rights and um, keeping bad things from happening to your brain. And, uh, you know, we're enter entering this new technological era, which is, is true, you know, the fourth industrial re revolution and all of that. So, um, you know, we need to update our laws, you know, that's essentially um, <laughs> the, the argument here, but um, we'll get into this uh, a little bit more about why that argument is not exactly honest. Um, but um, before moving on, um, you know, these guys uh, love to say repeatedly, this isn't science fiction, this is real, and it's going to affect all of humanity. But the key quote here at the end of this paragraph, and by the way, all of the articles we'll be talking about today um, are in the show notes. And if you don't read Spanish, you could use like a automatic translator or something like that to, to read along. Um, but it says at the last paragraph, uh, Chile is going to be the pilot country for this type of uh, legislation. Uh, and that's significant because if you are familiar with the history of Chile, um, particularly during the uh, coup d'etat that installed uh, P the, the Pinochet dict uh, dictatorship here, um, after that happened, uh, Chile became essentially the uh, laboratory and the economic laboratory Um for uh, Milton Friedman and the University of Chicago, uh, the economists put in charge of Chile during that period were called the Chicago Boys. And that term is used, the English term, Chicago Boys, uh, not translated or anything, is how uh, they're referred to in Chile uh, still today. And they essentially, you know, used uh, Chile as a, as a laboratory for those uh, ideas. So Chile sort of has this history of being a laboratory for uh, certain things uh, in the West before they rolled out uh, internationally. And so Chile was the test bed of neoliberalism. Um, and I think this is kind of interesting because, you know, of course, uh, Chile recently had an election and there's been a lot of uh, uh, hoopla, <laughs> for lack of a better word, about the new president. He's so young and great. His name is Gabriel Boric. Uh, well, young and, you know, I'm saying that as sarcasm, really, but that's how the, the media is treating him. Like, oh, he listens to Taylor Swift and he's so young and, and hip. But basically, you know, one of his... Um, most often quoted, uh, quotable quotes, I guess you could say, is um, Chile is where neoliberalism was born and it will be its tomb, something to that effect. Uh, but, you know, okay, so he's going to come to power and neoliberalism's not going to be there anymore. Chile's not going to be the test bed for neoliberalism uh, anymore, but it's going to be the test bed for some new technologies, including neuro rights and some other things that are going on, which uh, I may mention at the end of this podcast, um, like uh, the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, uh, its implications for mining. Chile is a test bed for that, among other things as well. So, you know, maybe it's not neoliberalism, but we also know, especially people that have been following my work, definitely know, I, I would I would hope anyway, uh, that there's this effort to create a new economic system, stakeholder capitalism, inclusive capitalism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, you know, even if neoliberalism is is dying in the new Chile under, under Boric, I mean, th that sort of parallels this 
global effort, right, to create a new economic system anyway. So, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot going on there. And, you know, uh, I don't want to talk too much about Boric, but I will point out that uh, one of his main advisors and one of the top ministers in his administration coming to power in March is a WEF Young Global Leader, uh, World Economic Forum uh, Young Global Leader. And we've been talking a lot (laughs) about those lately. Um, Well, at least uh, alternative media in general, uh, having these uh, quotes of the the chairman of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, talking about how he likes to penetrate, he literally says that, uh, penetrate cabinets with these young global leaders and and all of that in service to the stakeholder capitalist model. So um, you can kind of guess where Chile is going to be going under... (laughs) Uh, the new administration. And it's related to some of the stuff we're going to be talking about here. So moving on to a more uh, current article. This is from last year. Um, This is also from the same Chilean uh, newspaper, um, El Mostrador. Uh, so the topic, uh, here is essentially the same where it talks about, uh, the commit, the future commission of the Chilean Senate, um, approves a project to regulate direct neurotechnologies. So if you were paying attention to the article I was just reading quotes from, they don't necessarily talk about direct neurotechnologies. They just talk about neurotechnology in general. Um, so that's an important a difference because uh, if you're regulating uh, direct neurotechnologies, uh, direct neurotechnologies refer to things that can directly read and write onto the brain. Uh, so that's going to be like a brain machine interface, right? And if you're regulating it, we can talk more about uh, this later in, in greater detail if it if it seems necessary, I guess. But um, you know, if you're regulating a new type of technology, you're essentially creating the infrastructure to allow that to come to market. Um, and it's my opinion that this whole neuro rights phenomenon is about uh, creating uh, trust with the public and creating the the legal infrastructure to allow brain machine interfaces to uh, become widely used on the commercial market and not just for the um, you know exclusive cases that they like to promote a lot uh, you know like well uh, this will allow paralyzed people to walk again um, and allow uh, people who are deaf to hear and all of this stuff right which is like the main sales pitch um, and I'm sure most people are aware of that particular sales pitch when it comes to this technology but uh, in my opinion the the big uh, game here is about uh, making uh, the wider commercial market for people that don't have those problems um, uh, bringing it into existence as far as this article goes um, it starts off saying uh, talking about this this commission um, and how uh, they have uh, unanimously passed uh, the first law at the world level that regulates direct neurotechnology which includes uh, devices such as brain to brain or brain to machine interfaces that can quote uh, read thoughts the unconscious i.e your subconscious um, and write ideas or feelings end quote. Um, So that's pretty extreme technologies we're talking about there. So that's what they mean by direct neurotechnology. So based on what I said earlier, this is about regulating and creating the legal conditions to open up a market of that technology. That's pretty wild, huh? Yeah. So you said direct and that's an interface. So that's not a chip or it is a chip. Okay. So it, it, well, we can get into this in a little bit because there's a New York Times article talking uh, where Raphael Uste is talking about this, but he essentially, uh, you know, there, there's invasive, which is like the Neuralink brain chip. And then there's non-invasive, which are like um, 
the one that Facebook was trying to make, um, which, you know, you wear on your wrist and claims to be able to read your brain activity from being on your wrist. Those right. That's like non-invasive one. So techno- the technology has advanced to such a point that there are non-invasive and invasive uh, direct neurotechnology capable devices, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So, um, again, uh, these guys like to say this isn't science fiction (laughs) and there's actually a a video of the, this Girardi guy, uh, saying this, he says, you know, uh, there already exists neurotechnologies that can read the unconscious and implant into the brain, emotions, thoughts, ideas, and feelings, things that the that people have never lived. This is not black mirror. This is not science fiction. This is reality. And this is sort of the same uh, framing that Chile is the first to care about these real world issues, these issues about the new world to come and all of this stuff. Um, But this, this talking point gets repeated a lot. So are they kind of trying to make people aware that it could be scary, but we're going to make sure that it's not scary? Yeah, we're going to make it safe for you so you uh-huh. can use it without fear that someone's going to hack your brain. Uh, just uh, trust the Chilean government, which isn't <laughs> capable of uh, <laughs> doing a whole lot of things. Uh, trust them with uh, your brain and your subconscious and all of this. They're going to keep uh, you know, corporations uh, from hacking your brain. It's not like you know, corporations have hacked the entire Chilean uh, political apparatus <laughs> uh, like they have in most other countries. So anyway, uh, Girardi uh, in his speech here, he goes on to directly mention Elon Musk and Neuralink and talking about those types of things as well. And um, there's some other weird stuff uh, that they say, but they are, they're talking about, you know, how great Chile is for doing this and how this is opening up hope for the country of Chile. Yeah. Uh, because what's really, uh, I, I kind of want to read between the lines here of what this guy is saying. So for, for those that don't know, the last Chilean election was sort of like, I guess you could say the 2020 or 2016, uh, election in the U S where it, you know, it's very polarized. There's two very different candidates. Um, one's very nationalist and one's, you know, the progressive, quote unquote, and all of that. So that was very true in this last Chilean election. And so there was a lot of talk about the divisions. How are we going to heal the divisions and heal the polarization and all of that, right? And so here comes this speech about these neuro rights and all of that. And this guy says, uh, the creation of the neuro rights, and in my opinion, the creation of this new market, which is what this is really about, opens a hope for this country that we can have a common shared vision and that Chile can have a future um, if we all agree on central themes, meaning the neuro rights. And then he also says uh, earlier on, that, um, you know, the, if the present and the past won't unite us, um, because that was sort of the claim about this polarization, oh, the conservatives, the nationalists want to live in the past, and the progressives want to live in the present and the future and all, you know, whatever. Um, he goes on to say, well, the future can unite Chile, these futuristic technologies that can read and write in your brain and change who you are and change what you think and feel can unite Chile. And maybe this situation, he goes on to say, maybe this situation of polarization that we live in this country today. Um, There are aspects uh, that can unite science of the world with the science of Chile that can unite the left and the right uh, within Chile that, you know, this future technology can unite the left and the right, the kind that can, uh, you know, um, 
brainwash you. I mean, I don't mean to, you know, put words in his mouth. Right. But, well, isn't it weird that he's talking about direct neurotechnologies and says this isn't Black Mirror. This is stuff that can put, you know, ideas and feelings you've never had uh, in emotions you've never had and experiences you've never had directly into your brain. And this is how we're going to get the polarized left and uh, right of of Chile uh, to live in harmony. I mean, that's sort of uh, the implication here, given the context in which he's making those statements. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Do yeah. you think that's a stretch? No, I don't think that's a stretch at all. It doesn't make sense what he's saying. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right. When I read it, I was just like, this guy's so creepy. Well, I should also point out for people that actually care about this issue that apparently this guy, before he was a politician, was an abortion doctor. And I don't mean to get into the whole, you know, uh, nest of issues about like abortion rights and whatever but regardless of how you feel about abortion rights uh it takes in my opinion a a interesting for lack of a better word kind of person who wants to get up every day and go perform that procedure um so i'll just leave that there i i don't really know how i feel about this uh this guy uh personally and he definitely is very enthusiastic about these technologies being uh, used in chile um and I should say, by the way, this commission in Chile is is composed of supposedly left and center left and center right and right uh, parties, and they all essentially agree about this stuff and the fourth industrial mm-hmm. revolution and uh, you know how great this legislation is. Uh, and they have a lot of interesting, <laughs> well, interesting in quotes uh, things to say. So there's this um, one senator, Carolina Goic, uh, I think is how your, her last name is said. And um, she basically <laughs> has like this World Economic Forum uh, f- like template speech <laughs> about this stuff. Um, so she basically in talking about these neurotechnology says, you know, this is going, this is continuing uh, what we learned during the pandemic. No one uh, can save them themselves alone and global problems we have to confront them together and the important thing um and let's see the important thing is to um take charge of what the scientific community is saying to the political world and to decision makers so basically we need to listen to the scientists that tell us things the scientists like Raphael Uste we need to listen to the experts because they care um they just care about the science they don't have hidden motives no. or hidden funding <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right so that's pretty much how the Chilean press has been covering it and talking about how you know there's some other quotes in this article about how Chile is the world leader and you know the senators patting themselves on the back like oh look at the great progress for chile and we're a world leader we're the first country in the world to do this by the way people in chile especially like the older generation like love that talking point like well chile is number one we're we're getting international recognition for what we're doing it's so great uh, that they've also used that talking point to great effect for the uh COVID-19 vaccination campaign here which is uh you know chile is probably one of the most vaccinated countries in the world uh, behind, I think, you know, the United Arab Emirates and Israel only. <laughs> um, and it's definitely the highest one in terms of uptake of the booster dose, the third dose, and now the rollout of the fourth dose, uh, which opens up to everyone on March 7th. Everyone's so excited, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I mean, there are some people that are like, oh, yay. Um, but also, um, it has the highest uptake when it comes to teens 
in young children, uh, which is interesting because um, if you've been following U.S. news um, about the, this particular issue, uh, even people who got adults who got the vaccine themselves and are pro-COVID vaccine and all of that have been reticent to give it to their young children. Uh, not the case in Chile. I'll just uh, leave it there. Um, yeah. So anyway, moving along, uh, we should probably talk about this uh, Raphael Yuste guy some, huh? Because he's a, you know, he's the guy that wrote this legislation that's being piloted in Chile. I guess he found a sympathetic ear in Chile because, man, um, Chilean politicians really love to sell out their own people. I (laughs) uh, can say that after living here for eight years. But, you know, they're obviously not unique in that. Uh, There's plenty of countries that do that all the time on a regular basis. Some more than others. Some more obviously than others. But, you know. So he's not Chilean? No, he's from Spain. And actually, um, after Chile passed this stuff on neuro rights, uh, uh, I believe it started, uh, I think it was either introduced uh, into the, the Congress of Spain but I, or Parliament, but I haven't really looked um, at the progress of that. I just saw that it was introduced, but um, that's his home turf. So I guess it's easier uh, <laughs> for him to do that uh, over there. But anyway, let's talk about this Uste guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we talked about this um, in the article earlier. They introduced him as this this uh, professor at Columbia University in New York, right? So um, according to the Columbia website, Raphael Uste um, is a professor of biological sciences and neuroscience. He's co-director of the Kavli Institute of Brain Science, uh, which is an institute um, at Columbia uh, funded by the Kavli Foundation. More on them later. And uh, Yuste is also director of the Neurotechnology Center, or NTC, at Columbia University. And it goes on to note that he led the group of researchers that first proposed the BRAIN initiative. BRAIN, by the way, being all caps, it's an acronym. Uh, talking about more, we'll talk more about it later. Um, and Yuste is currently a member of the NIH BRAIN Work Group. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, he's part of this Kavli Institute. And so there's uh, seven of these Kavli Institutes that are all related to neuroscience. So Uste leads the one at Columbia University, but there's also one at Johns Hopkins. There's one at Rockefeller University. There's ones at Yale um, and a few others. Um, And uh, basically the Kavli Foundation, uh, from what I understand, Stand. I didn't look super deep into it, but it, it, it the guy it's named for was like a Norwegian American businessman who was an engineer, um, and he a lot of his stuff was sold to like um, weapons manufacturers or uh, like Ford Motors and stuff like that. So I guess you could sort of say that he has some sort of military contractor tie in a sense, but I didn't really look super deep into it. But anyway, um, his the foundation set up after this guy uh, died, I guess, uh, funds a bunch of neuroscience stuff. So where else does you stay work? Um, what are his other affiliations? Uh, well, there's there's one they didn't mention in that little Columbia bio, and that's him uh, being one of the top staff at the Allen Institute, A L L E N. Um, and it turns out that the Allen Institute is Paul Allen's institute, the Microsoft co-founder. Um, so according uh, to uh, their website, the mission of the Allen Institute is to unlock the complexities of bioscience and advance our knowledge to improve human health, because that's what Microsoft cares about. Um, and uh, basically, um, you know, Paul Allen died a few years ago, so it's his um, 
his sister, uh, Jody Allen, that uh, currently uh, runs the board of this organization. But you also have top people from J.P. Morgan and Chase, um, a couple universities um, up here, um, but, you know, several venture capitalists um, and, you know, people that just care about your health. I mean, that's venture capitalists, right? Um, <laughs> well, if you look at their website, they have a whole bunch of kids in Africa that have books. So they seem really happy and it seems like they're helping a lot of people. So, oh, right. Just like Bill Gates is helping people. The other Microsoft co-founder is helping people in Africa. That's what we're supposed to think mm-hmm. about Paul Allen's, uh, Institute. Um, all right, good stuff. So, um, for those that aren't familiar with Paul Allen and why he is super shady and, um, you should think twice about trusting anyone that would work at his brain science focused Institute that um, among other things is working to map the human brain. Um, I will refer you to some of my uh, past work on uh, Isabel Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell's sister um, and her company, how it was bailed out by Paul Allen's uh, venture capital funds that now fund the Allen Institute and Raphael Uste by extension. Um, And also um, my article, uh, I believe it was published last May on Unlimited Hangout about Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein and Jeffrey Epstein's ties more broadly. Um, to Microsoft uh, talking about not just that particular tie between Paul Allen and Isabel Maxwell's uh, company at the time, uh, but also him uh, palling around with uh, some Epstein associates and uh, like, you know, IDF bond girl, she's been called Nicole Yunkerman and some other figures. Um, so uh, yeah, I'll just uh, leave that there for for now. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the Paul Allen side of things, but I guess what's important, right, is that it's a philanthropic effort, quote unquote, philanthropic effort of a big time Silicon uh, Valley co-founder. Um, of course, that company being Microsoft, Paul Allen co-founding uh, Microsoft with Bill Gates. And Microsoft, as we'll get into later, is one of the major funders of the Brain Initiative, a public-private partnership that Raphael Uste came up with, and now he wants to protect uh, the neural rights of all Chileans. Oh, good. All right. So anyway, um, Raphael Uste, what does his research actually do? Well, um, if you look on his uh, Another of his websites uh, listed on the Columbia University pages, uh, he will, uh, it says, uh, this is a direct quote, the goal of our laboratory is to understand the function of the cortical microcircuit. The cortex constitutes the larger part of the brain in mammals and humans. It is the primary site of mental functions like perception, memory, control of voluntary movements, imagination, language, and music. So he's uh, specifically focused on the part of the brain, mapping the part of the brain that essentially makes us human. Uh, You know, I don't know how else to phrase it, (laughs) uh, to be honest. So I'll uh, leave it there. So now we've talked about what this guy does for a living, his focus of his, uh, his laboratory, some of his connections, right? But, oh, there's a lot more. So and there's this New York Times article uh, that was actually pretty recent. It's called uh, The Brain Implants That Could Change Humanity. Um, and this was published in uh, August of 2020. And Raphael Uste is one of the neuroscientists um, given a little profile here. So if you go to that article and you go to the subsection that reads a human rights issue, end quote, Uste is quoted in here a a couple times, but this is uh, one of the more um, notable sections, I guess you could say. Uh, You'll see why. So I'll just read from it. He says, um, 
to grasp why Dr. Yuste frets so much about brain reading technology, it helps to understand his research. He helped pioneer a technology that can read and write to the brain with unprecedented precision, and it doesn't require surgery, but it does require genetic engineering. That's important. We can talk about that later. Uh, but anyway, the quote continues, Dr. Yuste infects mice with a virus that inserts two genes into the animal's neurons. One prompts the cells to produce a protein that make them sensitive to infrared light. The other makes the neurons emit light when they activate. Thereafter, when the neurons fire, Dr. Yuste can see them light up, and he can activate neurons in turn with an infrared laser. Dr. Yuste can thus read what's happening in the mouse brain and write to the mouse's brain with an accuracy impossible with other techniques. And he can, it appears, make the mice see things that aren't there. Okay, that's a pretty uh, extreme uh, couple of paragraphs to be in the New York Times. Uh, you know, kind of surprising it didn't get more attention or this guy's research didn't get more attention. So basically, uh, Dr. Yuste uh, creates a gain-of-function virus that he infects with mice, and it doesn't say anything about the symptoms of the virus. Maybe there's no other symptom other than that it inserts two genes into uh the neurons of the animal it infects and then allows their uh, brain to be completely manipulated by lasers and allows them to have collective hallucinations um, that he controls and implants into their heads. Uh, that's pretty nuts considering, um, you know, uh, how the military is involved in the brain initiative that he does. And, um, you know, some of these uh, alleged operations of, of the past um, uh, of the military um, <laughs> uh, to use collective hallucinations uh, for the purpose of invasions of war, making people see God and things like this so that uh, a population being invaded would be rendered docile and things like that. Um, you know, I mean, this is pretty nuts. Um, would uh, a bad actor release a virus like the one Dr. Uste uh, designed into the population so that their brains could be manipulated and they wouldn't even know? I'll, uh, I'll let people think about that for a little bit, but this was pretty insane. So the guy that invented this wants us to believe that he frets, that's the word they use here, that he frets all day long about um, brain reading technology and why it's so bad. But uh, he keeps doing studies like this and actually uh, talks about um, at great length uh, why they are so beneficial. So now I uh, will turn to an article in uh, Spanish media, uh, the uh, the outlet is called El Español, uh, and if you look in the show notes for that article, uh, you will see that there is a subsection that um, that uses Yuste's words. It's mostly an interview, the piece, yeah, but um, this part is uh, direct quotes from him about the uh, three benefits of being able to read the mind with this neurotechnology. See, he says the first uh, benefit is scientific. You know, uh, he says, uh, quote, we can read the mind. Uh, we can finally understand ourselves because the brain generates the human mind. Uh, and all of our uh, mental activities and cognitive activities as people, uh, from perception to memory, uh, our thoughts, our emotions, and our decisions. Right. So that's just a great 
advances for science uh, is what he's saying, you know, um, anyway. Uh, and he says for the first time in history, humans will be able to understand ourselves, uh, which is sort of a very secular way of, uh, looking at understanding the human condition. Um, and then he says also that this, uh, will be a, a, a great base for uh, a new era of medicine, uh, uh, psychiatry and, uh, neuro- neurology. Um, which I guess is true, but you have to keep in mind too, that there is this huge push to completely alter what we understand as medicine and the medical system. Um, and that's going on in a huge way in the U S right now. We'll be seeing it over the next uh, year or two because the new head of the FDA, this guy, Robert Califf is a former Google executive and the FDA isn't just in charge of approving vaccines and stuff like gene or gene editing therapies or whatever, like CRISPR, um, the CRISPR based medicines or MRNA uh, you know, medicines, quote unquote, and all, uh, and all of this stuff, but also approving devices, including these neurotechnology devices, right? So he's going to be in charge of approving that. That's really important. And I think, you know, a lot of people reporting on Calif sort of missed the ball there. Uh, because they were saying, oh, look at his investments in big pharma and all of this stuff. Well, no, it's about uh, getting your medical data and your neurological data and all of this stuff from uh, the, ma- the the government approval of wearables and like all of this stuff. Because the part of Google he was running, the Google Health subsidiary called Verily, um, you know, is is all about that. And also he he was involved with uh, Galvani, which is this bioelectronic uh, medicine company that's a joint venture between GlaxoSmithKline and Google. Um, yeah, obviously fun stuff. <laughs> so this is happening. You have to keep in mind when we're talking about this neurotechnology stuff today that there's this huge push to reframe medicine around the type of technology that will do this sort of stuff. Yeah. So anyway, that sort of is the segue into the second benefit that stay lays out, which is clinical, uh, that this is about treating epilepsy. Epilepsy, Alzheimer's, schizophrenia, Parkinson's, um, mental retardation, depression, and anxiety. Uh, the last two are important because a lot of people get depressed and anxious and, well, just uh, open yourself up to direct neurotechnology and that will make you happy. Oh, good. Um, you know, but don't worry because you have neuro rights now. Um, so you don't have to worry about anyone doing anything bad because you'll totally know after your brain's been altered that it's been altered and you can go and show proof and sue, right? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of the, the inherent issue here. Uh, anyway, we'll talk more about that later probably, but the, um, the third benefit, uh, according to Eustay, is uh, that it's economic and cognitive. So those are technically two benefits, I guess. One would be cognitive and one would be economic, but he sort of combines them here. Uh, and he says, um, with this technology, you it's possible to connect the human brain uh, to the network in a, in, a, in a way that's much more potent uh, than by mobile, mobile phones or computers. And he's saying, you know, um, imagine that everything just connects directly to your brain and it would be like all these external databases becoming part of your mental activity. He says he calls that an enormous jump for humanity. Um, and it would allow for there to be a massive increase in cognition for the human species and we could behave more intelligently. Um, and this is really alarming when you consider the fact that a lot of um the people in power right now are like technocrats or they want to micromanage the population on like a huge level and that they'll ultimately be deciding what more intelligent behavior is. Um, you know, these efforts with like domestic terrorism, quote unquote, and all of that sort of portraying dissent as a mental illness and all of that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of 
um, really dangerous uh, things here. So even though this guy is saying, you know, how can we, uh, we can ensure the good use, quote unquote, good use of this neurotechnology, um, you know, by passing legislation, uh, in my opinion, there's really no good use of this neurotechnology uh, because you have to fundamentally place trust in uh, untrustworthy actors, i.e. Silicon Valley that produces uh, these devices. And then second, the government or judicial system that you'll be allowed if you can remember and know that your brain's been messed with, go and, you know, uh, demand that your rights be reinstated or that your rights have been violated by Silicon Valley or something like that. Um, but anyway, uh, basically he goes on to say, you know, how can we ensure, you know, the good use of these neuro, this, of this neurotechnology? He talks about his neural rights foundation, uh, which is the vehicle that he has been using uh, to accomplish this. Uh, I tried to find info on their funding. It's like not there. <laughs> so I don't know who funds them, but we know who funds Ustay's lab. Um, the Allen Institute and the Brain Initiative, uh, which is funded by Silicon Valley and the U.S. government and the military and the intelligence community. Um, so we know who funds that. Uh, so we can assume that there's probably some sort of overlap with his little foundation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, he says the purpose of that foundation is to develop new human rights that protect the minds of people. Um, and it's all about protecting your mind. Um and so these five neural rights he lays out, um, the first one is mental privacy. Uh, the second one is personal identity. The third one is uh, free will. Uh, the fourth one is uh, equal access to mental augmentation. And, and the fifth one is protection against uh, bias or discrimination, essentially. Um, so <laughs> uh, uh, in, in more depth, he sort of explains these. So the first one, mental privacy, uh, you know, basically saying that people uh, should have um, the right to determine how the data gathered about their neural activity is used and have the right to erase it. And this is interesting because technically we're told anyway that like Google, for example, uh, offers us those same rights about our data that it amasses, right? But they don't actually delete it all. They, you know, Google, Facebook, all these big companies have been caught lying about how they use our data uh, over and over again, that they have collaboration, major collaborations with uh, the national security state and pass that data on to them when requested, even if it's unconstitutional or illegal. Um, so, you know, apparently this guy thinks if we make a law, another law about it and make it doubly illegal, <laughs> that, that will stop it. Um, I don't think that. <laughs> and how many people say that they don't actually care about their privacy? They say they don't have anything to hide. You oh, know? Man. So, I mean, I can imagine people saying the same thing about this. Yeah. Okay. I think everyone, I think everyone has something to hide when it comes to the, the deepest recesses yeah, of their brain their brains. and the yeah. weirdest crap <laughs> they've ever thought about. I think it might change at that level instead of like what they've visibly done in the world, you know? Right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what a mess though. So basically you have to just trust that Silicon Valley will not violate your privacy, even though they've been violating it this whole time. And you're going to give them, you know, based on that precedent, even more access uh, to your entire persona the ability to change uh, who you are at a fundamental level, but don't worry um, because, you know, there's a law on the books that says they can't do that stuff. They won't, even though they ignore the existing laws on the books. Um, 
Mm-hmm. It's fine. This is why I say this is about opening markets, because if you have laws like this on the books, you can make a better sale pitch to people. Don't worry about the bad stuff. I know you may have some, you know, the, it may give you the heebie-jeebies, the idea of putting a chip in your brain, but don't worry. Uh, the government is going to ensure your rights against these naughty corporations, even though they're all, they all work together as a public-private partnership. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. man. It's, uh, it's nuts. Um, but people... People went ahead and, and uh, allowed the vaccines knowing that they couldn't, that they didn't have any um, ability to like, you know, go after them if anything bad. Yeah, happened. no, they had so, no liability. Well, right. Well, you know. So why would they? Yeah. I mean, so why would they care about this, about having uh, the ability to push back? In this instance, they didn't care before. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, there's obviously going to be some people who, like, fall for this. And probably a decent amount of people, because really no one's talking about this. And the people that are talking about this type of stuff going on uh, aren't really looking at it with a critical eye. And they're like, uh, well, you're the one that told me, right? That, you you know, if you look up neural mm-hmm. rights on Twitter, people are like, oh, awesome. Look at Chile. We should all move to Chile because they're going to protect <laughs> our neural rights. Um, let's go get right. our brain chip in South America. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just <laughs> mental when you think about it. I, I bet a lot of people in my audience are probably regular audience anyway, are probably getting a chuckle <laughs> out of, out of people like that. Uh, I mean, I certainly, yeah, well, I mean, when you read it though, it does make it sound like, Oh, look at this. It's, I mean, they're, I mean, normal people would look at it and be like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it sounds like it makes sense. Yeah. Well, this is the, this is the big, first push of the PR wave to normalize this technology. So we already, we already saw it a little bit with the buzz around Neuralink and stuff, but this is like the real big push to get this, uh, uh, you know, to be, to, to normalize it and make it like not weird to use, at least to some people. Right. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, moving on. Okay. So the second one is personal identity. So he's saying, uh, you know, the neuro right here is there should be limits uh, that prevents technology from altering your personality limits, right? Not a total prohibition on it, but limits. Uh, it's interesting. He uses, he phrases it that way, I think. Uh, and then he says, um, when technology connects people to digital networks, it can, uh, blur the line between, uh, their consciousness and what comes from the outside. This is uh, true, obviously, but you know, as I was saying earlier, how are you going to know that's happened? Like, what if it's subtle? You know, it takes place over uh, the course of months, for example, and as opposed to a few days or something. And I mean, are you really going to know? And if it if it does happen, if that change does take place, and your neuro right of personal identity has been violated, you know, how are you going to be able to show the proof to? Um, you know, litigate that or get your brain restored to its prior state. I mean, none of that is contained in these neural rights laws that Chile's passed or that this Uste guy is, is promoting. Um, and I mean, maybe their solution that wouldn't surprise me anyway, will be tied to your digital identity, you know, that obviously more people probably know about now than they did, you know, a couple months ago, even in terms of it's that's connection to the whole, um, vaccine passport stuff and, you know, what that digital identity agenda is really about, you know, maybe you'll store your neuro activity on your digital identity too. So they can see if there was some, you know, if Google manipulated your brain or, uh, a hacker, <laughs> got in there right. and did something right um and you know for people that haven't seen um 
my analysis of Yuval Noah Harari's talk about all of this, these issues, uh, the Dump Davos video, I would recommend going to watch this about, you know, humans are now hackable animals and not mysterious souls and all of this stuff. Yeah, in the context of what we're talking about today, that is a, a must watch. So you can see how the World Economic Forum people feel about this. Um, anyway, third right is free will, uh, saying that, you know, uh, you, the individual, should have final control over your own decisions. It shouldn't. You shouldn't have unknown manipulation from external forces. But again, how will how will you know? How will you know that it's? Uh, what if you think it's you making the decision and not? I mean, you have to keep in mind too. You know, for example, uh, I would recommend to people to go and watch the pretty old, I guess, BBC documentary Century of the Self. Um, how basically Edward Bernays, the father of public relations and propaganda, has been looking without neurotechnology uh, to manipulate the unconscious of people so they'll make certain decisions and not make other decisions. You know, they've been doing this for a very long time. So to think they want to do this and like, you know, with a click of a button instead of having to do these, you know, big expensive PR campaigns and all of that. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's much cheaper. It's much more effective. Would they not do it? You know, I, I, I know what I think. Yeah. All right. So the, the, the fourth, uh, neural, right. Uh, equal access to mental augmentation. So he's saying there should be, you know, structures at the international and national level that regulate, uh, the use of neurotechnology for mental improvement and that it should be based on justice and guarantee, uh, it should guarantee equality of, of access. So I guess it's like, a um, the way I interpret that is, okay, so a government's going to come in and say, well, everyone can get the brain chip for free or at a discounted rate if you can't afford it, you know? Um, so that's the equality of access. We want everyone to have the brain chip, not just the rich people. Um, wow. That, well, isn't, isn't that what it really sounds like crazy. to you? Yes, absolutely. So yeah. get our whole population with the brain chip. It's free access. It, it will make your brain super smart. Uh, don't you want it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that's basically uh, how I interpret that. But, you know, I uh, do have to add the caveat that I am one of the most cynical humans I know. So, <laughs> you know, maybe it's not really that bad, but um, I don't know. We'll talk about the brain initiative that this guy made up and you'll decide if he's a guy you want to trust or not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the last one, protection against biases. This is sort of related to the top one. Um, basically, um, saying that um, a xenophobic or classist person could create algorithms that uh, without them knowing uh, that, that would unconsciously discriminate. So to protect against uh, algorithms or technology made by people that are xenophobes or classist or whatever, based on, I don't know who makes that determination, <laughs> uh, but basically saying that there should be a, a norm for um, neurotechnology algorithms, that means obviously that there is going to be some sort of body created, whether it's a government body or a public private body that determines uh, what algorithms are okay and which are not. Uh, I think it's most likely going to be a public private thing between Silicon Valley and the government or tech companies and the government. That determines which algorithms are okay and which aren't. Uh, and of course, the average person uh, who is the target for these brain chips isn't going to know crap about these algorithms, right? So, so their input won't be there. Well, they won't be educated either about this stuff. I guess, I guess if you get the mm -hmm. brain chip and you're an average person, it will increase your mental abilities and then you'll be able to know, right? <laughs> you know, once it's in there. 
Is there anything else, any important points that I may have missed on, on that neural right stuff? Everything that I was thinking of, you would then address. Um, like about the free will thing, you know, bringing up century of the self. That's totally what I was thinking. Like we don't, they manipulate us now. So to say that we should be, have ultimate control over our decision-making without unknown manipulation from external forces or whatever, we already have that right now. Why are they saying? Uh, well, actually, in this article, like right after he he lists off the neuro rights that are promoted by his foundation or whatever, the next question he's asked is, uh, will the human brain always uh, be easy to manipulate or able to be manipulated? And he says, oh, well, the human beings have manipulated other human beings for millions of years. I mean, that's not necessarily untrue, right? But he says, you know, right. um, all types of techniques um, have been used, uh, spoken word, written word, visual information, movies with neurotechnology, you know, it'll go directly to the brain so you can just manipulate it directly. Um, and that he, that's essentially what he says. And then the person, the, the, the journalist asks, will it be infinite manipulation? And he goes, yes, the manipulation is infinite. <laughs> um this is crazy. Wow. Yeah, that's what he says. Yeah. He says, this is the El Español article for people that are listening or trying to read along. So he says, yes, infinite manipulation. Your brain uh, creates yourself. If you change the brain, you're, you're changing the people. Yeah. I want to refer back to what that Chilean senator said about this is how we're going to get the left and right to unite in harmony forever. Um, because, God, that's like the most creepy <laughs> shit i've ever heard um you know we're all gonna live in harmony because we all have a brain chip that makes us live in harmony oh good anyway um he, he he goes on to clarify no we're not changing the information that arrives to the people which i guess is the manipulation now like when they manipulate facebook algorithms for example and algorithms on social media and things like that and news feeds um it's he says we're not changing the information that comes to the people we're changing the people so there's his fundamental difference here. And he thinks that's good? Well, he, that's he says we have to stop. Uh, we can only allow altruistic uses, right? So only altruistic changes to people, I guess, is what that means. Um, mm. Well, you know, that's me reading between the lines again. You know, remember that, uh, you know, all this stuff is, is PR for what he's doing, right? Because this is a well-connected guy. This is a guy that came up with the whole brain initiative uh, for the U.S. government, the military, and the intelligence community. That has a lot of sway uh, <laughs> with uh, mainstream media outlets, not just in the U.S., but also in countries like Spain and countries like Chile. Uh, and especially in Chile's case, I mean, a very controlled uh, corporate environment. I mean, it's like state TV, oligarch TV, and CNN Chile. Oh, great those are your choices <laughs> mm -hmm. um yeah it's bad uh i mean why do you think vaccine uptake here is so high and there's no complaints uh about you know uh, mass mandates there's still an outdoor mask mandate here uh i mean there's still all this covid really crazy covid restrictions especially to leave and re-enter the country <laughs> it's like there's no you don't really hear a lot of complaints about it i guess more people are getting fed up and apparently in social media people will comment and like there's more pushback but i mean uh on the news you don't hear anything about it <laughs> it's just like yay the fourth dose is here that's that's chilean tv today so you've mentioned this before about chile how they're 
compliance you know there's a lot of people that are very compliant they like they like to feel like they're doing the right thing and they really believe the tv so you know the the tv tells them you're a responsible good person if you wear a mask and they hear it enough times you know what happens and actually i think chile was one of the few countries where at least the first year and a half of covid they've started to phase it out recently but people on the tv like the newscasters would wear masks how often did it happen Mm -hmm. in the u.s i feel like it wasn't that much uh, but most channels, news, news channels in Chile had like people wearing masks while they were reading the news and stuff and talking to each other, including on zoom calls where they're like alone in a room and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All for optics. I guess so. Or like, this is, you know, what we're, we're doing now. Uh, you know, you should do this too. All the good people do it. That type of stuff. Right. Um, at least that's how, uh, this is my opinion based on talking to people here and, you know, seeing what's been going on for you know, the, the mm-hmm. past couple of years or so since this whole thing started. So anyway, uh, there's a really crazy antidote that he has after he talks about, yes, the manipulation is infinite, right? He, he goes on to say, like, this isn't science fiction again. Everyone's favorite line that promotes this stuff. It's not science fiction. It's real. They're like giddy about it. Um Anyway, he goes on to say, like, um, you know, it's not science fiction. There are patients with uh, invasive or implanted neurotechnology uh, right now. He says, even though it's it's primitive, it can it it works and stimulates certain parts of the brain. And he says that uh, when it's used by people today with Parkinson's or people with a severe depression to alleviate some of their uh, severe symptoms, there are relatives of them that go and say that uh, when those uh, devices in their brains are activated, they turn into other people. This is literally in this article. Please go and read it. And, uh, and basically he's like, quote, paraphrasing one of these people saying like, Hey, uh, this is the quote of what one of these family, one of these relatives uh, are saying, according to him, uh, it's the quote is, uh, Hey, what are you doing to grandpa that when you turn on that device, he turns into another person. And then he goes, this is an anecdotal example, but it's real because when you manipulate the brain, you're changing the essence of a person. Um, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then he calls it an infinite uh, Pandora's box. Um, uh, and you know, we have the trust that this is the guy that's going to protect us. All right, fine. But anyway, he goes on and says like you, uh, you know, can be turned, this technology can literally turn you into a marionette, a puppet for someone and a bunch of other really crazy quotes in here. Another one, that he says is changing. Uh, he, he says changing thoughts changes beliefs. And he goes on to say, um, you know, uh, you know, in terms of this, this is manipulate infinite manipulation, right? He says you can convert someone to a religion. You can change their political beliefs, or you can turn a, a pacifist into an ardent soldier. Um, you can control if you can control the thoughts of someone you can dominate them completely Um, this is insane uh, that this is even being like debated as technology that we should be using (laughs) it should be like no I mean I don't know that's just my opinion but I guess if we have uh, cool neuro rights written by this guy uh, everything's gonna be fine right yeah, it seems really weird because it seems like he's trying to scare people about it, um, you know, because he is trying to pass these neural rights or whatever. But then he's also like 
working on it at the same well, time. It, so yeah. it's just weird. Yeah. Well, he, he, he's advancing this technology that's obviously dangerous uh, because he thinks it could have some good uses. But, you know, in my opinion, uh, the bad really heavily outweighs the good um, in terms of, you know, the potential for bad and the likelihood that it will be used for bad. Um, mm-hmm. Is there evidence that he's done like good things before that, you know, backs up his, you know, altruistic things like, you know, nature? Like what? He, uh, <laughs> he made the braid initiative. That's a big leap for science. <laughs> um, well, we'll talk more about what that is in a second. Why don't we, well, in order to explore how you stay feels about this stuff, there is an interesting antidote in an article uh, where he goes and is talking about neuro rights uh, to UNESCO, which is, you know, part of the UN. If you're not familiar with UNESCO, uh, you can always go and read uh, John Cleasek's series, Teachnocracy, on the Unlimited Hangout website and read about how great UNESCO is and how it's promoting uh, transhumanism and transhumanist education for everyone uh, for the foreseeable future. And in 2050, wants uh, kids' brains to be uploaded into the cloud. That's, uh, they're normal. Um, <laughs> uh, man, all right. Any, I, you know what? Sometimes I talk about this stuff and I just can't believe what's coming out of my own mouth. But then it's like literally <laughs> has come from people with power. And I like have to talk about it. But I sound insane when I hear myself. Um, yeah, totally. Uh, read the UNESCO 2050 uh, white papers. You know, it's not, it's not, I'm not pulling this. I'm not making this up. It's not science fiction star. Oh man. Right. Oh, right. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So um, there's this interesting antidote when he gives this interview to UNESCO about, Oh, we have to do newer rights because remember he's lobbying the UN to add this to the universal declaration of human rights to create this market opportunity at the international level. Yeah. So in this interview with UNESCO, uh, he sort of talks about, uh, he's asked anyway, uh, why did he begin a career in neuroscience? And the anecdote that he gives in this UNESCO interview is pretty interesting. Um, Interesting in quotes. (laughs) So he says, I was sent to a hospital where the most severely ill patients were being treated. A lot of them were paranoid schizophrenics and we had to interview them with bodyguards present. Uh, I was shocked to realize how smart they were. These are not people that are low functioning. These are people like Sherlock Holmes. In fact, Sherlock Holmes was probably a paranoid schizophrenic. I remember interviewing one of them and it was scary. This person was super smart and he threatened me and my family personally. He figured out where I lived for my accent and said, I'm going to come to your house and kill your father. Um, I, I, I don't know if I believe that. Just because, you know, <laughs> can you tell someone's street a- address from their accent? I don't think so. Maybe a, a right. province or a region, but it's you're not going to, I don't know. Anyway, it's a little extreme. Anyway, he says, uh, this is the important part because who knows if the anecdote's real, right? But this is allegedly why he wanted to be a neuroscientist. Yeah, he says... I realized that these people had amazing brains, but there was a switch in them that was turned off. They used their intelligence against themselves and against society, as opposed to bettering their lives and enhancing their environment. If we could only figure out what's wrong with them, we might be able to flip that switch and send them back out into the world. But we cannot do it because we don't understand schizophrenia and we don't understand schizophrenia because we don't understand the brain. All right. So that's why he does what he does. Uh, So, you know, people that are 
Um, this is this is me being cynical, okay? But based on what he said here, he says um, people that are uh, using their intelligence against themselves and against society, as opposed to bettering their lives and enhancing their environment, they have a switch that's turned off, and we have to flip that switch on. Okay, mm-hmm. and he gets to decide that that switch is yeah, off. Yeah, and and on. you know how long until it's not schizophrenia, but it's like they said, depression, anxiety are already on the list. But what if it's you know thought crimes or you know the pre-crime applications of this? You've shown violent tendencies um, online because you you know uh, posted a swear word under a Bill Gates tweet <laughs> or something. You know, um, yep. You're racist. You need re-education. Yeah, something like that. Oh, man. Yeah, okay. So I I think it's we don't really have to spend too much time talking about why that's bad. (laughs) Uh, But that's (laughs) that's pretty telling um, about uh, about how he uh, feels about neurotechnology. And, you know, it can be used. Remember the, the first article I opened with, it can be used for altruistic ends. Okay, so we can manipulate all this stuff as long as it's for the good of society. That's sort of the implicit message here. Um, and that sort of has this communitarian feel for people that, that uh, aren't familiar with communitarianism. Uh, Unlimited Hangout did publish a piece on it by Ian Davis that I would really recommend um, that we'll put in the show notes too. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's th- this is has a lot of very dangerous potential and that should be very obvious. Okay, so um, to round uh, things out here, um, I think it's uh, long overdue by now that we talk about the brain initiative, okay, because that's the thing this guy made up. Um, and it's really important um, because basically, according to Eustain, this is from the El Español article still, yeah, um, he's asked about how the brain project was born. Um, and he says, uh, in 2011, he was invited to a private meeting in England at the mansion of the Royal Society. There was an exclusive private meeting of 25 experts. The uh, half of them were neurobiologists, um, and the other half were uh, represented other parts of science. And they were discussing, they were brainstorming um, about neuroscience in general. Yeah. Um, and everyone was giving their opinion about the state of neuroscience today and how to improve it. Um, and he gave his little talk um, and he talked about um, mapping all of the neurons in the brain. And when he proposed doing that, uh, all the, all his colleagues, he says, um, a lot of them said, um, this is impossible. We can't be done. It can't be done. It's madness. Basically it would be too expensive. Um, we'll find out later exactly how much money it costs. <laughs> um, you know, and that it would just be totally absurd. And then George church, um, for the, I'm sure some people know him, but I'll explain a little bit who he is. Um, but here he's described as one of the people behind the, these criticisms are just what people said about the human genome project. And that was a smashing success. We should give Eustace's idea a chance, you know, basically something like that. Um, and so basically that same night, he and George Church um, make the first draft of what would eventually become the Brain Initiative. And then they were sent to the White House in September 2011 uh, to have meetings there um, about this initiative, essentially. Okay, so for people that don't know who George Church is, uh, I would probably put him at the top of scientists uh, funded by Jeffrey Epstein in terms of people that were very cozy with Jeffrey Epstein. And, you know, among people that got called out for their um, association with Epstein, I, I mean, 
you know, a lot of them, uh, in my opinion, were sort of at least feigned remorse better than others, (laughs) right? Um, Because they're only saying it was bad because they got caught in the Epstein scandal and all of that, right? Even though it was known well before that he was a pedo, right? So uh, George Church is in a, a little bit of a different category in that respect. And also in the sense that mainstream media has actually gone so far as to essentially label him a eugenicist because he wanted to create this eugenics based dating app so you don't end up dating someone with inferior genetics um because that's what sane people do um obvious sarcasm uh there and he also you know this this guy's so nuts that he also once talked about how fun it would be to impregnate women with neanderthal babies to just see what would happen you know the kind of crazy tinkering he likes to do he also is a the co-founder of um some of these CRISPR gene editing based medical companies like Aditas uh, is one of them. And then another one uh, he couldn't create in the U S so he created it in China and they're basically making uh, pig human hybrid organs to be implanted into people. Um, he's like a mad scientist. I don't really know how else to describe it. So anyway, this is the guy that Raphael Uste decides to partner with uh, to create a government funded project to map the human brain. Um, so we can all feel, uh, you know, safe uh knowing they're in charge um uh, i i apologize to everyone for my extreme sarcasm today but i honestly feel like when talking about how insane this is i'm i'm really uh pretty close to being out of fucks and you know the test bed for this is where i live uh in chile so yeah i'm a little uh uh you know Uh, A little spicy sorry about that anyway (laughs) uh so the brain initiative it was originally called, I think, the Brain Activity Mapping Project, as originally proposed by Ustay and Church, uh, but it became the Brain Initiative, with BRAIN being an acronym standing for Brain Research Through Advancing Innovative Neurotechnologies, including the neurotechnologies that Ustay is now lobbying to have regulated and thus uh, be able to be brought to market. Um, so they describe it uh, on you know, the NIH website as revolutionizing our understanding of the human brain. Um, in the interest of time, um, I will just tell you that this is a public-private partnership. Uh, private uh, money, uh, the private side of this, is the big Silicon Valley companies. It's Apple, it's Microsoft, it's Facebook, and it's Google. Okay, all the people that abuse your data (laughs) um, and that you shouldn't trust and have had numerous scandals um, over the years. Right. Okay, so we'll we'll put that aside because uh, that should be more or less common knowledge to most people. Um, But the government side of this is DARPA. The National Science Foundation, the National Institutes of Health, because we know the NIH is so um, so great after COVID-19 and they'd never do anything bad, uh, just like the FDA, which is also part of the Brain Initiative. Uh, but we don't just have DARPA and the NIH and the FDA and the NSF. We have IARPA. You may not have heard of IARPA, uh, but it's the intelligence community's DARPA. It's the DARPA for the CIA. So it make, it makes me feel extra great. Uh, and by great, I mean not at all great um, that <laughs> they are the people leading uh, this initiative. And as I've mentioned before already in this podcast, you stay as the guy essentially leading all of these centers around the brain initiative 
650 of them internationally, right, that are all tied, uh, you know, to the military community, uh, DARPA obviously being a major vehicle for transhumanist uh, technology, and IARPA, the CIA's DARPA, which is the same, uh, arguably worse, because we all know about the CIA, right? I mean, I hope we do. Um, It's, it's, this is really unsettling uh, to me that this is the guy in charge, going around the world, lobbying for neuro rights to the UN, to Chile, to Spain, presumably under other countries as well, or at least it'll come to the fore eventually um, as they try and bring these interfaces on the market, right? And this is the guy, uh, this is this is what he does, a public-private partnership with the uh, worst offenders when it comes to manipulating you and your data with existing approved technologies of Silicon Valley, okay? Uh, plus, uh, the intelligence community and the military, uh, and you know, uh, the FDA and NIH, who we know all about, uh, we know more or less about their corruption, right? Over the course of COVID-19, I recently did a podcast uh, about corruption in the FDA with Meryl Nass. You can go back and listen to that if you're interested to know more. Um, but in my opinion, uh, these are not forces that should be able to map our brains, but this is what the Brain Initiative does. And it's a public-private partnership. It also includes philanthropists. Uh, so we know what that means. People like Bill Gates, though. I don't know if Bill Gates actually funds this. I don't think so. Um, but this is also a very expensive uh, initiative that's been going on uh, since 2013, I think, is when it officially launched. And um, apparently the price tag just for the NIH component of this, because remember, it's all these different groups. Uh, it's a public-private partnership, right? The NIH alone has a $4.5 billion price tag they're spending on mapping your brain. That's not just gonna, they're not spending that kind of money just to like, you know, ooh, how cool is this science, right? They're planning to use that for some end. I mean, that's just uh, how the government works. You know, uh, they have their public spin on why they're doing something. And then there's like the real reason a lot of times. Um, I Didn't Hillary Clinton say that explicitly in that in that speech, the private position on all of this stuff? I mean, that's how like U.S. politics essentially works, right? So the Brain Initiative has its public stated purpose. You know, oh, we just want to learn more about the brain and help advance science and make life better for everyone. That's the public reason. But would the government spend, uh, you know, four Point five billion alone, just the NIH. That's not counting DARPA's money. That's not the intelligence community's money. That's just the NIH money, right? Would they spend that much money on something that was just to learn how cool science is? Um, I don't think so. Right, and altruism. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, there's a lot more that can be said about the Brain Initiative, but we're getting pretty close to uh, uh, the normal length of this episode. I don't want to make this too long because I would really like people to listen to it. Um, but the one uh, partner in terms of institutes that are partnered with the Brain Initiative that I will add is the Kavli Foundation, which I mentioned earlier is where uh, one of the places uh, where you stay works is funded directly by them. And the other one also involves you uh, stay. It's the Allen Institute, the Paul Allen founded Institute. Um, and, in, in contrast to how they describe themselves on their website, um, the uh, Allen Institute, according to the Brain Initiative, is described a little differently. They describe that is uh, they describe the Allen Institute as a non uh, 
nonprofit medical research organization that's a leader in large-scale brain research and public sharing of data and tools, um, and that they're specifically focused on how brain activity leads to perception, decision-making, and ultimately action. Okay, so just leave that there because, you know, Paul Allen, Bill Gates, Microsoft co-founders, they're great guys, right? Uh, They just want to help. They just want to help. I think that last part, though, ultimately action, you know, they want to control how we act, right? I mean, leading to action. Yeah. Without us knowing, right? That's my opinion, is that, you know, it's more subtle. They can directly manipulate the brain. So how will you know? Because it's your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. What a crazy world we live in. And it's getting crazier all the time. So I want to close this out uh, by taking this back to Chile a little bit. So we talked a lot about Microsoft, right? So, you know, there's uh, Rafael Uste works for something that is funded by, you know, Paul Allen, Microsoft, right? Microsoft is one of the uh, main private partners of the Brain Initiative that Uste created and, and has been working for and, and, you know, is the coordinator, I guess, for all 650 centers of it. Um And it's interesting that we're seeing this neural rights push happening in Chile alongside another push by Microsoft in Chile um, about a year, actually just a couple months after the big announcement by Uste and and Chilean Senator Girardi about neural rights in Chile at the end of 2019, Microsoft announces its Transform Chile plan uh, to accelerate the growth and transformation of all businesses in Chile, um, and including the creation of a new massive data center, um, employing all these people, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's apparently their biggest uh, investment since they've ever been in Chile. Um, and there was a lot of hoopla about it within the country specifically. Um, and he's talking and basically the, the Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, when this was announced within Chile, um, said, um, quote, we're not cr- building the data center just to um, advance our own business, but in order to uh, create, uh, to offer a critical investment in Chilean infrastructure that will serve all of the people who live here. And all of our clients that work here, he says. All right. So this is also being framed as altruism, not unlike how Uste is framing his neural rights thing. Uh, But I think that's uh, pretty interesting because you're having this push for neurotechnology, direct neurotechnology by a guy that's tied up with Microsoft in some sense. And then you have Microsoft creating this transform Chile um, plan that involves this data center, involves this big launch of 5G in the country that's already uh, begun, at least in Santiago. Um, And there's also this new law that basically eliminates privacy in Chile that's... um, uh, it's the, uh, I don't know if it's been passed or not, but it's going on alongside this neuro right stuff. It's called the, uh, informa- informatic crime bill, I guess you would call it, or like, you know, online crime. And within there, uh, it eliminates uh, judicial authorization for the Chilean state or Chilean national security state, their intelligence agencies, whatever, uh, to demand uh, data uh, uh, from internet uh, service providers, like IP addresses, data, whatever, uh, of any device that connects on the internet. They don't have to let you know, uh, and they don't require a um, you know, a warrant or anything. They can just sort of suck up your data um, and figure out uh, who is using what device and and all of this stuff. So at some point, I am going to uh, be throwing all of my technology in the, in the trash can as someone that lives in Chile because that's a very unsettling bill. Um, 
But, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here alongside that. And it's worth pointing out, too, that Microsoft Research has a, a lot invested uh, in uh, brain-machine interfaces, including, if you look on their website, um, on the section on brain-computer interfaces, the Microsoft Research website, uh, they say specifically under the subheading, our current research directions that they're targeting general population like brain computer interfaces for use by the general population right and i think as i was saying earlier that's really the goal of a lot of this is to to get this uh widely used by the um the public to create new markets as you said yeah well that's what a lot of this is you know if we look this is an altruism well they say that right but if you look at a lot of the other stuff going on in the world right now that i've written about recently like uh, natural asset corporations the financialization of nature um you know being a, a whole separate side of this you know there's a lot of new markets being made right now um uh, or you know the the, the climate fine plan to securitize the oceans and the way they're securitizing natural assets the whole ocean is about to get securitized by uh, an organization led by the Canadian government, the UK government, and Bank of America. <laughs> okay, who's going to be the owner of the oceans? That's going to be fun. Um, maybe that's where Ghislaine Maxwell's Terramar was always intended to go. I, I don't know. But anyway... I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening. It's all about, you know, new markets and money. So much of what's going on right now, like the the push for digital identity, you could argue a lot of that is about central bank digital currencies and this effort to create a whole new financial system and the fourth industrial revolution, which is fundamentally an economic change too, in a sense, right? And if you think about, I really want to make this point because, you know, it, the fourth industrial revolution is like, um, I, I think a lot of people have been hearing it, but we have to remember... Uh, that, you know, the pre the first industrial revolution, I mean, think about that and think about how, yeah, it changed a lot of things, but think about how extreme the exploitation was of workers during that time. There was child labor and all of this stuff. Okay. So like industrial revolutions, um, you know, more often than not, they do it, it signify major technological progress in a sense, but Usually for workers and for regular people, uh, the effects are not great. <laughs> and, and it's about concentrating uh, more power and wealth in the hands of the, the elite, essentially. And I think that's what's, uh, yeah. what's going on here. And I think this whole neuro-right uh, phenomena is, is really the same thing. And despite Raphael Yuste's um, best efforts to come across as a, a, as a, you know, oh, I'm sounding the alarm. I'm worried about the stuff, his connections, the people he's chosen to work with, uh, some of the things he said about himself and his own reasons for being in neuroscience. I am definitely not convinced. And I think there's a lot more going on here. Yeah, definitely. All right. So thank you, Star, for uh, joining me today so that I didn't have to talk to myself uh, for over an hour because I would have felt like I was going insane. Uh, so I'm really glad I didn't have to do that. Um, and hopefully uh, everyone listening got a lot out of this episode. It's not how I normally do things, but I think this is a really important issue that's not getting a lot of coverage. Um, and maybe I'll write about an article about it in the future, but I felt like it was important enough to just get out, get the research out there in the form of a podcast. Uh, hopefully you found it informative and illuminating and realize uh, a little more about the deep shit that Chile is currently in. Um, you know, but I mean, it's all right uh, because uh, I really hope that... Uh, um, 
you know, people will get wise to it. I'm trying to do my small part in raising awareness locally um, about it. And hopefully people will figure out that something is amiss, uh, despite, uh, you know, a wide cultural belief and everything the TV says. Well, at least it seems that way. I'm being a little cynical, because obviously, there's a lot of Chileans that, that don't believe everything the TV says. But Man, uh, you see how people have sort of rolled over for COVID stuff here. Um, it's uh, it's a, it's it's disheartening. I'll just leave it at that. Um, but the idea, right, is that Chile is going to be the test bed of this. So we have to see what's happening here in Chile, and so that Pete, when they try and replicate this in other countries, like they're trying to do now in Spain, and they'll probably do in the U.S. or the U.K. or Australia or wherever. We have to know what's really going on here so we can stop it. Uh, you know, before it starts, essentially, and and be well informed about, you know, the implications of a lot of this and some of the stuff that people like Raphael Uste are saying sort of in between the lines, right? So um, hopefully people got a lot out of this episode. Uh, a special thank you to people who support this podcast and uh, have kept uh, Unlimited Hangout going uh, during the uh, period uh, of my maternity leave, which is now uh, hopefully over. Um, for people that uh, don't know, I have had uh, uh, my little my little man, my little baby has been a little sick. Uh, we were at the hospital pretty much all last week, uh, but he's a lot better now. But, you know, I have had some sort of like interruptions with work. Uh, so I'm trying to get uh, back to full speed as soon as possible. But, you know, sometimes life gets in the way and it definitely gets in the way a lot more when you have little babies and little kids to take care of. Um so anyway, thanks a lot to everyone who supported the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would uh, encourage you to share it widely, uh, especially when it becomes public. Uh, just like all Unlimited Hangout podcast episodes, the uh, first couple days of the release of the podcast is a premium for Unlimited Hangout members and for Rockfin subscribers. After that, it becomes public to everyone and available um, on podcast apps everywhere. So please share widely once it's available if you think it's important. Uh, thanks so much and catch you all for the next episode.